Hello everyone, my name is Georgie and you're listening to episode number one of the Take Out the Trash Day podcast. For those of you that are first time listeners, you should definitely check out my trailer episode from this past Sunday to get to know more about the podcast and the concept of the show. Today on the pod, the main topic will of course be the US midterm election. I'll start the show by giving you some raw knowledge about the beginning the continuance and the present form of the checks and balance political system. Today, you'll get to learn something where this system comes from, since the founding fathers of the United States definitely did not come up with it on their own. After that, I'll continue the show with something that everyone has been talking about, the US midterm election. I'll give you the numbers, I'll talk a little bit about what happened, and give you my opinion on why things happen and how I think the results will impact the future of the United States. Spoiler alert, I'm pretty happy with the results, so you get to hear me excited about it. But yes, you get to hear all of it, plus some more about Trump being unpredictable again, if you stay with me in the next hour. Let's get started. As I briefly mentioned in the trailer episode, Take out the Trash Day podcast would not be just another political podcast where I'm going to tell you the news, report it, talk a little bit strategy and why the news is important and how it affects the world and the countries and everything. But instead, this is going to be a podcast where I'm going to try and teach you something that you probably don't know about political history and science and give you that insight of why the things are the way they are. So when I was preparing for this episode, I struggled a lot with how to present you this aspect of politics because why would you care about history when you absolutely hate politics? I was walking around Skopje, talking to myself as always, and trying to come up with this idea and way, the best way how to present it to you, and then something came to my mind. Why don't I tell you about my most favorite thing I've learned this week at my classes? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've been in college for more than a month now, and I'm absolutely loving it. So why not share some of the most interesting things I'm learning on a weekly basis? And I don't know how, but this week's most important and interesting lecture fits perfectly with this topic of the podcast, and especially this episode. If there's any historical political system that the US system is kinda based on, it's the one of the Roman Republic, which is arguably the first and the greatest republic ever in the history of civilization. But before I tell you why is that and how did that happen, do you know that even the Romans were not the ones that invented this balance of power and checks and balances? Okay, so what do you think when you hear the word Sparta? You probably have seen the movie 300, right? and most likely have sent or mimicked the video of Gerald Butler yelling this is Sparta to some friend of yours. But did you know that military strength was not at all what made Sparta great in ancient world? They were not even that great in military, it was in fact their political system that made them so great and gave us the blueprint of what is now well known as checks and balance political system. Lycurgus, who my professor described him as probably the most underappreciated figure from the political history, and as soon as he said that, I labeled him as the greatest of all time, 
aka the goat in my notes, was the famous lawmaker who wanted equal division of the three branches of government and was among the first who fundamentally won a democratic system when no one in ancient world wanted democracy. Sparta was a former city-state in ancient Greece that political system consisted of three different forms of government, monarchy, oligarchy, and democracy. The greatness of Lycurgus is that as soon as he became in power of the state, he started to take the rule away from the will of a single man, king, or the monarchy, and gave it to the Senate of Elders, or the Council of Elders, each of whom had to be at least 60 years of age, and from time to time a general assembly of the people that had some final say in the event of any conflict with the Senate. The people could not propose any laws, they could just endorse or veto what the Council of Elders proposed. It was a small step for Spartan, but it was a giant step towards democracy. It is the reason why Lycurgus is so important for the political world today. He's even among the 23 lawgivers that are depicted in marble bas-reliefs in the chamber of the U.S. House of Representatives in the U.S. Capitol, and is also depicted on the frieze of the south wall of the U.S. Supreme Court building. And that is how we get to the Roman Republic. The Roman Republic was an era of ancient Roman civilization from roughly 500 years BC in between the earlier Roman Kingdom and later Roman Empire. This Republic was distinguished by its system of government, the Republic that featured a Senate to represent the people. The Roman Republic held a significant place in history as the first major republic government and is modeled for many modern nations today, including the good old US of A. Around 509 BC, a revolution in Rome ousted back then the king and the two leaders of the rebellion were elected as co-leaders called council. That's when the Roman Republic starts. The main reason why was two of them, it was because of the fear of the people of Rome from having someone with absolute power leading them again. The new consuls restored power to the Senate, the Roman institution created by its founders in which elected officials represented the will of the people in their district. The Senate could pass laws, veto motions of the consul, and direct finances. The Roman Senate was the first elected and representational form of government in a major civilization. They also had people's assemblies consisted with plebs or the people. There were four of them and they all had legislative power. The fourth and very important institution in this uh, system of Roman Republic were the tribunes or the tribunals who were in place to protect the interests of the plebs. But everything that is good doesn't last forever and this is the case with the Roman Empire, the, the Roman Republic as well. Internal fractions inside the Republic led to a series of civil wars throughout the 1st century BC, resulting in General Julius Caesar crossing the Rubicon River and becoming the dictator of Rome. After Caesar was, Caesar was assassinated in 44 BC, people started fighting for power. Eventually, in 27 BC, the Senate awarded Octavian supreme powers and he took the name Caesar Augustus, officially initiating the Roman Empire. The rise of an emperor with nearly absolute power meant the end of the Roman Republic, although the institution of Senate survived with much less power, 
but in a way continued to represent the will of the people in the government. Actually, they kind of stopped matter as the time progressed. The best example is that act that one of the first kings of the Roman Empire, Caligula, did. He was a crazy nutjob who eventually was killed, but at one point to show to the senators how much they are important, got to the senate with his horse and appointed him as senator of the Roman Empire. Fast forward many years later, Jefferson, Franklin and the rest of the company of founding fathers copied the Roman Republic with the same fear as the people in Rome had back when they were starting their republic having someone like Caligula in power. And here we are, election night 2018. I finally get to talk about this and I'm so excited. I can't express how much this means just to have your voice heard. I've been active politically for two, three years now, but it has been always social media, internet, talking to friends. But now I have this opportunity to say it out loud and people can actually listen to it and agree or disagree with me i cannot wait to hear your comments write an email or text me on facebook instagram i want to hear your opinion about what i'm gonna say it's awesome to have this chance to talk about the elections just because elections are my favorite time of the year i believe that voting is the most effective way people can change things so whenever I hear someone that is complaining and has not voted, I'm just so mad and so frustrated. I mean, if you don't go and vote and you complain about things being bad, it's your fault. You haven't voted. Like, yeah, one, one vote doesn't change a lot, but it changes things. You know, it changes if I believe that someone should have won. And my friend believes that. And his friend believes that, and her friend believes that, and we all get together and vote, that person will get more votes than if we decided to stay at home. Sometimes it just doesn't work. Sometimes there are a lot of people from the other side, more people from the other side, and they decide. But how are you going to get your voice heard if you don't go and vote? Yes, I love protesting, demonstration marches, and all that, and I've been part of many of them. But Everything is a co- like everything is just one big preparation for that voting act. So if you don't go and vote, you cannot be serious about complaining. You don't get you don't get to do it. So yeah, I've been pretty pretty upset about people seeing about seeing people not voting, especially here in Macedonia. Basically here, every election, we have only 60 to 65% turnout. So imagine if those, the rest of them, 40 to 35%, imagine if they they get out and vote. Imagine what they can do. And then I I hear people, because we have two-party system here and uh, has been going on forever. And I hear people, well, there's no third party. Well, things are bad. People are corrupt. Politicians are immoral. I don't know. Hey. Have you voted? No. Why? I don't have anyone to vote for. Ah, that's not true, man. You got you have. You have people to vote for. You just got to find them. Hey, organize thing. Do something. But if you get those 30 to 35 40%, you're going to change it. You might not win at first, but your voice will get heard. 
So it's very important to get out there and vote. And that's why I love elections, because people can... It, it's, it's, it's what democracy is all about. People deciding who are gonna lead, who's going to lead their country, what's going to happen with their lives, and people decide the future on their own. But yeah, the election was crazy. <laughs> election night was fun. Uh, have, have in mind that the time difference, U.S. Macedonia is six hours. So I got to be up all night filling up my little election board I created for myself, which I'll post sometime after the release of the podcast episode and covered the election. I listened to people I've never listened to. Probably I've heard names of candidates that I don't want to know because, you know, I don't know them. They're unknown for me. They, they were at least unknown for me before the election. I saw people that I didn't want to see and uh but it was fun it was it was it's pretty fun literally i slept only 30 minutes because i had classes the next morning so i didn't want to go pulling an all-nighter so it was like okay 30 minutes okay set a set few alarms so just in case you missed them you missed the first one but yeah after the after the they announced the 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 house for the democrats i was like okay i can go and sleep right now for 30 minutes and and come back but it was crazy i love that that's 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 what life's all about but if you have followed me on instagram before the election you probably unfollowed me by the time it was over because it was just i got i got crazy and carried away with everything that was going on but it was all worth it it was totally all worth it it's just people people deciding what they're gonna do and i'm so proud to see so many young people voting so many new uh so many people that voted for the first time i'm so proud to see so many new candidates running for first very first time and winning so happy to see the change of hearts that has has happened uh for the midterm elections because usually those are the turnout is not so well the president presidential elections are more important in the u.s but just having this this number of voters and voting it was great and uh just icing on the cake it was democrats winning the house winning winning some important governorship races winning some state legislature legislature seats it was great so i decided the first part of this my coverage to just go through the numbers and uh, not go into the specific why happened, what's the impact and all that. But instead talking about that after I go through the numbers, just because it's more clear and a uh, better structure. So yeah, after, after eight years being the minority in the house and less than two years of having little to none power in the country, the Democrats are finally back. Nancy Pelosi will take over the Speaker of the Senate, of uh, the House, sorry, oof, that was, that was a wild dream, that's a wild dream so far, but yeah, the Speaker of the House, things are finally getting back to normal, and the reason why I'm so happy about it, and I'm really pumped up about it, it's probably because uh, of the historical part I just talked about, for the past two years, as I said, the Republicans had all the power, they had everything in their hands, Donald Trump was president, they had the majority in the U.S. House and Senate, and from recently, they got Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, 
which means they have the majority there, and they will have it for a long time. And having having one party in power is just not good. Not for the U.S. Not for any other country, for that matter. And it's not good for the world, considering that the U.S. is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, player in world politics. So after two years minority in the House, two years minority in the Senate, and after two years of Donald Trump being president, the Democrats are back. It's it's awesome. It's great to see it. Even if you are a Republican, it's good to have some checks and balances. So that's good. Uh, the Republicans are keeping the Senate. They flipped some seats where Donald Trump won two years ago. They flipped probably the seat in Florida. I, we don't know yet because there's still counting going on there. Democrats got Nevada uh, and uh, probably Arizona, which is pretty crazy because right now uh, not all the votes are counted. And in Arizona's uh, Senate race, the Democratic candidate has only 2,000 votes more. So we're going to follow that closely over this few days and I'll let you know who won next week. Uh, for governors and state legislature, Democrats got seven more governors in the country and now they're in the majority. They're the majority with more governors in the in the entire country while the Republicans won the, the major the major states, Ohio and probably Florida, as I said, there's still counting going on in Florida. We don't know what's gonna happen. There might be a recount. Who knows? The Democrats had also a great night for as for state legislature goes. They won over to 350 seats and flipped some houses in the states all over the country so that was great and i'm gonna tell you why a little bit later and the fourth part the fourth part of the election were the so-called ballot initiatives which means that voters in 37 states voted in total of voted on a total of 157 ballot measures on election day, the results of which will affect wide-ranging aspects of people's daily lives in those states, from their purchase, from their right to purchase a gun to which bathroom they can use. It's something that I wasn't sure how it's going to work, but apparently it's, it, it went great. People voted, and just having the opportunity to vote, not for people and for parties, to vote on real, real policies, it's it's amazing, and that's why I love the U.S. system so much. So yeah, this was a quick overview. I'm gonna go uh on. I'm gonna go through everything in just a few minutes. So stay tuned. Okay, so let's start with the house first. Twenty-eight flips, as I said. Uh, they needed twenty-three. They won twenty-eight. They lost two, but. It's all good since they already have 225 congressmen and women. They're the majority. The GOP, the Republicans, have 197 so far. Just checked. There's still a few more races to be called and a few more ballots to be counted. The, the mind-blowing statistic here is that Democrats won 18 out of 20 seats that where Trump has won by five or less percent two years ago, which is a great news for for everyone in the democratic on the democratic side and a great news for the party. 
they have uh, in total uh, the popular vote as well plus six percent which is awesome for them as well one of the most important thing about the house though is that it's funny how things have changed for in the past eight years so eight years ago the republicans won the house because of the passage of the obamacare people were so against it and the republicans ran, ran against obamacare so they won the house eight years into the future democrats ran campaign against the repeal of Obamacare and they won the house back. Almost 43% of people who voted said that Obamacare, repealing Obamacare was the main thing why they voted democratic way. They don't want to see it repealed, they want to still have it as a law and they want to still have it as a right. So it's it's amazing to see how things quickly change and how something that was so so negatively accepted it's now one of the biggest biggest ways how to to get voters po- po- uh, to get voters voting get people voting actually thank you obama for that great news from the house for democrats this win right now means that they get back the power of proposing legislature basically trump cannot pass anything without democrats and that is the best news of the week. It is big freaking deal that Nancy Pelosi and all the Democratic Congress men and women will have the power to say no, you cannot repeal Obamacare. No, you cannot stop DACA. No, you cannot do what you want to do, but you got to work with us. This is what we want. This is what you're going to do in order to do what you want to do. This is great for the, uh, for Democrats to uh, propose their Medicare for all. This is great for them to propose all the all the issues they've been running on. Even the even though they might not pass in the Senate, it's a great platform to run on. Once the election comes, they uh, they can say, "Look, we wanted to pass Medicare for all. We passed it in the House, but the the Republicans in the Senate they." They crushed it. So we are for this. We're not just talking. Look who is against. So it's a great, it's a great strategy for the Democrats if they decide to actually do it. Hope they will. Uh, yeah, the the Republicans will not long will no longer be able to pass legislature with Republican votes alone. Instead, to get any bills to Congress. Trump will have to spare with Democrats. And my favorite part of this is that Democrats, the new Democratic majority, will also have subpoena power, which will help them investigate the Trump administration far more aggressively now on. As for the Senate, it has been uh, more complicated than the House and a lot more interesting to, to look at it, to analyze it, certainly for Republicans. But Democrats should be should not be too worried about it as well. I'll go race by race. The most important ones in Arizona, as I said, uh, the Democratic the Democratic nominee has only two thousand votes advantage so far. It's too close to call. There's still ballots that has not been that have not been counted. So I'll I'll up, I'll update you on that probably next week. Florida 
who knows what's going to happen there. The the Republican nominee, Scott, who who is the governor of Florida, he has been trying to to not allow people to count all the votes in the race. Uh, he, he has been a, a Democratic seat, Bill Nelson, but who knows what's going to happen again. Too close to call. It was first called as a Republican win, but the 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 advantage has been has been uh, going lower and lower. So we might be headed to recount there. Don't know yet. In Indiana, Missouri, and North Dakota are three states that Republicans won. Three states that Republicans won, where Democratic senators were the seat. Claire McCaskill, Joel Donnelly, and Heidi Heitkamp uh, all lost. For me, expected. For most of the people, expected. It, it just uh, it, Trump won in all those states last year, uh, two years ago. So I, I can say ex- expected. In Montana, though, uh, John Tester won, which is great news for a Democrat. It was it was uh, it was going to be a close race and. Democrats got got it out there. Tester was against most of the most of Trump initiatives. He was against Ob- uh, repealing the Obamacare. He was against Kavanaugh, against the tax uh, the tax cut. So shows you how should you run as Democrat in a Trump state. Big surprise and big upset in Nevada. Jackie Rosen won the Heller seat. So Democrats got this. See, great news for Democrats again. Jackie Rosen's great candidate. Policies are great. It's one of the best news from the election. Good job there. In Tennessee, a place where where it was expected the race to be close and maybe Democrats win. The former former governor of Tennessee, Phil Bredesen, lost by 11%. So Republican keep this seat. But one of the best news from this Senate race, for me at least, are the four senators who were against Trump on Kavanaugh, tax cut, repealing the Obamacare, plus Tester, of course. Stephen Howe, Sher Brown, Bob Casey, and Tammy Baldwin, they all won their races. So Democrats get to keep six more years of those seats, which is great. Good job. But yeah, Beto O'Rourke lost. Texas, Texas keeps Ted Cruz as their senator for six more years. I'm going to talk about more Beto, uh, Beto-related Beto stuff later. I'm just going to mention that he lost by close margin, probably co- closest in, in recent history in Texas, 2.8%. So good job there. Beto was one of my favorite candidates. I'm going to, I said I'm going to talk more about it. I wanted to talk about the, the Senate races, especially because it gets... It gets harder for Democrats now. As I said, this means that Trump and the Republicans have clear path to appoint nominees and and justices for life, possibly. Another thing why this is not so great about Democrats is that if GOP, if the Republicans won Florida, win Florida and Arizona, they will have 54 Senate seats. That's three more seats than the, the Republicans hold now, and it might be enough to, to insulate the party against Democratic attacks in the next election. For the next election, 2020, for Senate, they Democrats need to hold on to Alabama seat that Doug Jones won. 
Doug Jones, who won a special election last year against an extremely flawed Republican candidate, will have to choose whether to seek a full term in the state Trump won with 62% of the vote in 2016. So that's going to be hard, hard to keep. But if Democrats lose the Alabama seat in two years, they'll need to pick up five seats to flip the Senate. It is so hard to find uh, many solid opportunities in two years. The only Republicans that are up for re-election in the states that Hillary Clinton won two years ago are Senator Cory Gardner of Colorado and Susan Collins of Maine. But Democrats could also target maybe Purdue seat, John Ernest of Iowa, Mitch McConnell seat in Kentucky, Tom Tillis in North Carolina, and John Corn Texas. But those are going to be more difficult. So Democrats might have lost the Senate for up un- until 2022 or 2024, which is not good for them. That is why even though they were not going to win most probably on Tuesday, it was important for the party to limit its losses. Some races are still on cold, as I said, Arizona and Florida, but it appears that Democrats failed to keep the Senate within arm's reach two years from now. It's going to be really hard, but who knows? Things have happened. If they, they, they run, they run good campaigns. Everything is possible, but as for today... My prediction is that 2020 Republicans will still have the the Senate and it's going to be pretty hard for Democrats to to do something about it. Moving on to governorships. Democrats flipped seven governorships on Tuesday. Illinois, Kansas, Maine, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico and Wisconsin. Republicans won both Ohio and probably Florida like the the most closely watched race in uh for the governor was in Georgia. It still hasn't been called. Brian Kemp is ahead. Democrats are still hoping to get to get close for a runoff with Stacey Abrams. But even even if he goes in the runoff, the head-to-head favorite will be Brian Kemp, a Republican. This race was just frustrating all over all over. The place, Brian Kemp, acting state uh, secretary of state, has been doing everything to limit voting rights to Native Americans and to everyone. A lot of machines were not working on election day in Georgia. Over 45, he tried to limit the voting access to over 40,000 Native Americans. It was just corruption all over the place, so... Stacey Abrams, the Democrat, the Democratic nominee, is still not conceded yet. Vote, votes are still counted. We'll see how it's going to go. Updates more in the next few days. Republicans also held on in a couple of small states with outsized national implications. Iowa and New Hampshire, where, where the Democrats won the majority of governorships, which is great. And again, I say it's great because... As far as state legislature goes, Democrats have won more than 333 seats uh, in many, many different states. They have flipped some uh, state houses and won some places they were not expecting. But the, the, biggest, the biggest reason why this is great for Democrats, the wins uh, within the states and the governorship races, is because there's census 
coming up in 2020 and it means that those governors and uh, those new state uh, legislatures they will have the chance to uh, draw up new districts because I don't know how much you know about gerrymandering but it's a real problem gerrymandering is the manipulation the boundary boundaries of uh, of districts to favor one party or one class and right now the districts that that have been uh, that have been going on for 10 years almost 10 years now are so in favor of the republicans so so that has been uh, hard that's one of the reasons why democrats were in opposition for 8 years now in the in the house having more governors having more people in state legislature means uh, more chance to democrats to to stop this gerrymandering from happening again in 2020 and and to uh, draw new maps which will be more more equal to both parties and will represent the real representation of people also great uh, news for democrats uh, about those races is this is basically where you start this is where you uh, build your candidates this is where first time candidates happen and uh, later on you'll get those first time candidates going on for US House for the Senate that's how Republicans won in the past eight to ten years they first started in state legislature they build up the bench as, as, it, as it is called and now we have the fruition of that of that bench it's great to see so many new democrats so many new uh profile of democratic candidates happening uh, and running in state legislature and for governors so good job good job democrats good job america ballot initiatives okay so it's pretty new thing the ballot initiative is not something that we have seen in many countries but it's so great that people could actually decide decide on actual policies. So I'm just going to go through all of them, try to cover most important ones. Uh, Massachusetts on Tuesday passed the nation's first stateside vote on anti-discrimination protections for transgender people, prohibiting gender-based discrimination in public places. In Washington state, voters passed an initiative tightening gun control laws, which includes raising the minimum age to purchase firearms to 21 years. Four states on Tuesday also cast ballot on Medicaid expansions. Three of those states, Idaho, Nebraska, and Utah, voted to pass Medicaid expansion, which means 300,000 people, 300,000 more low-income Americans will receive coverage. The fourth state, Montana, rejected this measure. Voters, voters in six states approved version of Marcy's Law, first enacted in California 10 years ago. This California law grants crime victims 17 rights in the judicial process, including tightening parole requirement and protecting victims from the defendants. Advocates argue that crime victims deserve the right to legal standing and knowledge of a defendant's whereabouts during the legal processes, while critics, including the ACLU, say Marcy's law undermines due process and puts a stain on court system. Illinois, Ohio, and the Dakotas 
enacted similar laws in the past few years. Now the measure has passed in Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Nevada, North Carolina, and Oklahoma. Alabama and West Virginia voter, voters passed measures that cease to recognize and protect a woman's right to have an abortion, while people in Oregon rejected a measure to ban public funding for the procedure. But unless the Supreme Court overrules Roe v. Wade, the restrictions protecting the sanctity of life remain symbolic since they are not decided at the state level. Florida, for me the most important news of the night, passed the historic Amendment 4, which will allow up to 1.4 million ex-felons to regain their voting rights. This means that 1.4 million people who have been convicted and have served their sentence get their voting rights back. So far, people in Florida who have been convicted and served their uh, time have not been able to vote again. So, good job, Florida. Maryland, Nevada, and Michigan are hoping to enact laws that allow same-day voter registration, automatic voter res registration, or both, while Arkansas and North Carolina wish for voter registration restrictions by issuing changes on vo uh, voter ID laws. Arkansas and Missouri both wo voted to increase the minimum wage, which will give raises to a combined total of 900,000 workers in the two states. And several states voted on whether to expand the legalization of marijuana, Michigan fully legalized marijuana, while Utah and Missouri voted to legalize it in medical, medical, for medical reasons. North Dakota rejected legalized marijuana. So here comes the third part. Better work. Although Democrats had a great day, great night, and they won most of the places they should have, and they won most of the places we thought they will, Beto O'Rourke, uh, probably arguably the biggest star of the election lost by 2.8. I mentioned that before, but it's crazy how some people say that Beto flopped, Beto choked. That is just nonsense because, first of all, Beto lost just by less than three point margin. A closer race than many people expected and closer than some thought was ever possible. Okay? So, no one thought Beto will be within three-point margin. No, Beto Rourke's army of dedicated voters, inspired by his candidacy, did not overcome Texas' partisan lean. And yes, he might have left some voters on the table by running hard to the left. But there are reasons why Beto was so successful. And even the result is successful. The turnout, first, the turnout. It spiked. As of Yesterday morning, 8.3 million votes has been, had been tailed in the race. That's just a little bit fewer than 9 million votes two years ago in the presidential election. And almost double than the previous Senate race in 2014. Also, by running, Beto has helped other Democrats who ran for the House to flipped seats and two Democrats going to the House from Texas. At least 11 state House seats in Texas were flipped just because of Beto. So, you cannot tell me that Beto, Beto's campaign was not successful.
Yes, he lost. Yes, Ted Cruz is going back to the Senate, unfortunately, but he is. He's going to stay there probably for six more years. But Beto O'Rourke did amazing job. Amazing. He sh- First of all, all these, all these, all these things I, sh- I just said aside, he had a rain, he read, ran campaign as no one has seen in Texas. He, he, he went hard to the left. He talked about what he truly believes in. He was not trying to, he was not trying to appeal to conservative voters like, like Bredesen did in Tennessee and he lost by 11. No, Beto, Beto did not do that. Beto was, was true to himself. Beto was true to his supporters. Beto was true to all Texan people. And he lost by less than three points. Add to that, all the money he raised, no super PAC money, you get the blueprint how you should run a campaign. Whether you're a Democrat, Republican, whether you run in Washington State or, or Alabama, you should run as your true self. You should say what you really believe. You should do what you really believe in. You should not go like Phil Bredesen went in Tennessee. You should not try like Joe Donnelly in the in Indiana or all the Democrats who ran as conservative Democrats in red state where Trump won. Because that's not you. First, you're lying to yourself. Second, you're lying to your voters. And third, you're lying to everyone. And you're going to lose. Yeah, you might win sometimes because the other candidate is worse than you, but... That's not that's not good. That's not that's not good. Not for you, not for the party, not for the country. So I salute you, Beto O'Rourke. It just made me so proud. I was in Texas two years ago. I spent a year in Texas. I had to debate everything with a lot of conservatives there. Just seeing Beto O'Rourke going out there in every county in Texas, just mobilizing people, Doing this grassroots campaign no one in Texas has ever seen. It's amazing. It, like, it makes my heart full. It makes, it makes me so proud. So, good job, Beto. I'm already starting, starting to lobby for you to, be, to run for president. So, Beto 2020. Steve Kerr also tweeted, Beto 2020. So, let's do it. Beto, you can, you can do it. And... I might even try to United States just to canvas for you, although I cannot vote. Good job, Beto, and thank you for running true, honest, positive campaign based on your policy, based on your ideals, based on what you believe. Good job. Last thing I want to cover about the election is all the people who made history in this midterm elections. Diversity definitely won on Tuesday. These elections, which captured nearly as much attention as one presidential election, was historical, historical multiple fronts. A diverse set of candidates won big in states across the country, and uh, people decided that it's time for new people, new faces. So let's get started. Johanna Hayes, a former high school teacher, is the first black woman elected to represent Connecticut in the House of Representatives. Hayes, the 2016 National Teacher of the Year, won Connecticut's 5th District with a projected 
percent of the votes. Hayes will succeed Democratic Representative Elizabeth Etsy, who did not run for re-election. Jared Polis of Colorado is the first openly gay man to be elected governor of, governor of a United States state. Polis, a Democratic representative, is projected to win the Colorado governorship race against the Republican Walker Stapleton. Sylvia Garcia and Veronica Escobar will be Texas' first Latina woman in Congress. Ayanna Presley will be Massachusetts' first black congresswoman. A Democrat run unopposed in Massachusetts' 7th district after beating the 10th term rep uh, representative Michael Capuano by 70 points in the primary on September 4th. Rashida Tlaib is one of the first Muslim women elected of to Congress from Michigan. Ilhan Omar joins her as the first Muslim woman elected to Congress and the first to wear a hijab. She's also the first Somali-American woman in Congress and she comes from Minnesota. Sharice Davids is one of the first two Native American women elected to Congress. The other one is Deb Holland, a member of New Mexico's Laguna Pueblo tribe. Tennessee elected its first female U.S. Senator, Marsha Blackburn, a Republican. Young Kim is likely to become the first Korean-American woman in Congress. Lou Leon Guerrero will become the first woman to govern the U.S. island territory to Guam. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 29, is the youngest woman elected to Congress in U.S. history. Ocasio-Cortez, a Democrat, will represent New York's 14th district. And A.B. Finkenauer, will, who will turn 30 on December 27th, also becomes the youngest woman ever elected to Congress. Wow, a lot of firsts, and I'm so happy to see this. As I said, I'm so proud to see so many people from dif different ethnic uh, backgrounds, different backgrounds running for the first time and winning actually good job okay i guess this was it i was going to uh, include the segment about trump but then decided that this probably is enough for today there was a lot of races to to mention a lot of things to say a lot of news to cover and it was a long day and just recording episode of this size for the first time it was a challenge i hope you like it i cannot wait to hear your comments concerns questions you can message me anytime on facebook instagram email on uh take out the trash day at gmail.com cannot wait to hear your opinion thank you so much for listening it means a lot just to have anyone listen to what i have to say especially about politics so thank you again and uh yeah georgie out talk to you on friday